Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Along with bringing you updates and critical information happening all around the world, we're always fortunate to have the chance to bring our local ELA lawyers into the conversation. These good folks are practicing on the ground in jurisdictions all around the world, working daily to help their local clients move through difficult times. On the program, we span the globe and receive updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. Today, we're gonna be chatting with several of our members in Indonesia. We also have a special announcement moving forward. We now have a new moderator who will be helping us with podcasts in the Asia Pacific region. Many of our listeners will remember Marion Carl Samo. She's the head of regional employment and labor practice and a senior regional legal advisor at DFDL. Marion has been a guest on our program twice now, and we're happy to have her back. Marion, how are you today? Thank you, Peter. I'm very well and very excited to be there. Well, let's get started with your guests, and good luck with today's program. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. So hi, everyone. Joining us today on the program are Farouk Yusuf and Shabdan Aziz, partners at SSEK. Farouk and Shabdan are joining us from their office in Jakarta. Today, Farouk and Shabdan are going to share with us a brief update from Indonesia on the job creation law and its implementing regulations. Welcome to the program, Farouk and Shabdan. How are you doing today? Hello, Marianne. We're doing good. We're keeping busy and healthy, I hope. That's great. Great to hear. So first, I understand there is some somewhat of an overhaul of Indonesian laws and regulations due to the enactment of the job creation law, which is actually also known as the omnibus law. Can you give us a little bit of background on that? Well, yeah, that's correct, Marian. We got the omnibus law introduced back in November last year. And it was actually our discussion in our previous podcast. So it was passed in November the 2nd, 2020, and it amended around 70 laws. Actually, 79 laws to be exact. That includes amendments to the Indonesian manpower law. So the omnibus law is quite thick. It is around 1,100 pages. Just in terms of size and scope, this is actually one of the thickest, if not the thickest, Indonesian laws I know. And the goal of the job creation law itself is basically to streamline regulations, simplifying business licenses, improve the ease of doing business, and encourage investment in the country to create jobs. Now, that includes also an overhaul of the manpower law and regulations. So let me understand a little bit better. If the job creation law was passed in November 2020, what is new exactly? I mean, why is this law so important for employers in Indonesia? Yes, uh, you're correct. It's not new. But when it was introduced in November last year, the law says that by early February, the government has to issue implementing regulations as mandated in the law. So, so far, all 79 of them has already been issued, and including the ones that are going to implement the employment law, like I mentioned earlier. Now, I mean, relevant to our discussion today, there are four government regulations that have been issued to implement the manpower law as amended by the omnibus law itself. Now, these are government regulation number 34. It's on the utilization of foreign manpower. Number 35 on fixed term employment, outsourcing, working hours and rest times and termination. And GR 36 on wages, as well as GR 37 
on the implementation of the unemployment benefits program? Yeah, and of all of them, the most important one is GR35 on fixed-term employment, outsourcing, working hours and rest time and termination. So that is actually what we're going to focus in our discussion right now. Thank you. Thank you very much. And well, speaking of this GR35 regulation, why is this so important for employers and, and employees in Indonesia? Can you please give us a little bit of content of, of these regulations? Yes. So basically, GR35 puts in place major changes to the employment law. It changes how the game is played and it brings actually, you know, a balance between good and bad to both parties. So probably the most interesting for both employers and employees are the new procedures for employment termination. Now, GR35 streamlines the grounds for termination of employment as well as making changes to the termination benefit packages. The latter is probably viewed as the most controversial change under the regulation by workers in Indonesia in the history of Indonesian manpower laws and regulation. This is the first time a law has set a lower threshold for seven packages for termination of employment across the board. There are also changes in fixed-term employment agreements or what we call PKWT. And GR35 also adds a clear compensation system for these fixed-term employees. Don't forget that this GR35 also clarifies protections for workers at outsourcing companies, and it makes changes to business licensing for outsourcing companies also. Aside from that, there are also new provisions on working hours, overtime, rest times, and rest times for workers. So GR35 covers a lot of important grounds in terms of employment law in Indonesia. So I understand that there have been changes to the termination benefits package, but what new procedures was passed in terms of employment termination under this new regulation? Well, on that, one of the most significant changes is now the employer is required to provide written notification of termination to the employee in question, and that was not clearly regulated before. GR35 now mandates that the notification should provide the reason for termination and outline the termination payments and other entitlements. This notification should be given to the related employee at least 14 days prior to the termination itself. Yeah, to add to that, what's more interesting is that the employee is now given the right to reject the writing termination within seven working days. This is something new, not there in the previous regulation. So if there is no objection raised by the employee, the termination is going to be concluded and has to be reported to the local manpower office. But if the employee rejects the notice, the employer and the employee must do a negotiation in what we call a bipartite negotiation to reach a settlement. So if that negotiation doesn't work, both of them must move into the next level of settlement process, which is the tripartite negotiations by involving an official from the manpower office. And if it's still not successful, it can still escalate for a settlement through the labor court, which we always advise our clients to avoid because of the time and cost that it would involve. So from that, aside from the termination notice and rejection procedures, uh, basically, the other settlement processes are as already regulated in current manpower laws and regulations. So nothing has changed for the process except for the notice and rejection stages. And are there any changes to termination payments, which I understand have you know, always been considered 
somewhat burdensome for employers in Indonesia? Yes, actually that is the most interesting part. Like Shahdan mentioned before, it's the first time ever in history that GR35 lowers the termination benefit threshold. So termination payments are now regulated to be less than they were prior to the issuance of the GR35. So that should be somewhat a relief to employers, but we can't say the same from the worker's point of view. Now, if you are familiar with Indonesian termination payments, under Indonesian law, these payments comprise of severance payment, service payment, and rights compensation payment. The omnibus law reduces the entitlement components of compensation payment while the service pay calculation remains the same. But the major change under GR35 is in the calculation of service payment. Before, most severance payments range from one to two times severance pay based on the year of service and grounds of for termination. Now, severance pay ranges from half to one month's salary per year of service, depending on the grounds of termination, of course. The two times severance package now only applies for terminations to employees' illness and disability from a work accident that prevents the employee from working for more than 12 months and due to employee's death, same as prior to the enactment of the omnibus law. Now, even service payment for retirement is now reduced to 1.75 times, where previously it was actually two times. So what does the GR-75 say about fixed-term agreements and fixed-term employees? Is there a specific regulation for uh, applicable to this category of employees? Well, actually, most of the provisions are still the same with the previous ones. Basically, GR35 clarifies that there are three types of fixed-term agreements, which are agreements based on a time period and agreements based on completion of work or what we usually call project-based. So there are also fixed-term agreements for non-permanent work like daily workers, but all of which the GR35 really emphasize that for work that are considered as permanent, that is not going to be considered as fixed term. And those employees would legally be considered as a permanent workers, where all of them would be subject or entitled to a severance payment like Shahdan explained before. So speaking about fixed term agreements, can you perhaps touch on some of the main points regarding fixed term agreements in the GL35? Yes, of course. So basically, a fixed terms agreement is based on time period, which can now last up to five years, including any extensions. Before, the maximum term was quite similar, but it was regulated that the first term was for a maximum of two years, and it could be extended for a maximum of one year, and can be renewed for another two years. It is commonly known as the 2-1-2 rule, but now, it is simply regulated that the maximum term is five years, including the extensions. So, for example, now you can have an initial term of six months, and you can extend the agreement for another six months in each extension up to a maximum of five years. So, it's actually provide more flexibility and simplicity. And on the FTA based on completion of work, it must expressly specify the scope and location of the work to be completed and the expected period required to complete the work. For those project-based fixed-term agreement, the work will terminate itself when the work is completed, even if the work is completed sooner than expected. And for project-based fixed-term agreement, 
it can be extended beyond the five-year term if the work is not completed in time as expected. But the extension cannot go too long because there's going to be a risk that is going to be considered as a permanent employment agreement. And one thing that needs to be considered is now that there is a compensation in accordance with the period of service that is payable to the employee each time the term of each agreement ends or when the work is completed. So let's say that the initial term of the fixed term agreement has ended and the employer wants to extend the employee's fixed term agreement, then the compensation needs to be paid first. So employers should consider these compensation payments when when deciding on on hiring someone on a fixed term agreement basis uh, so it will fit their business model. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's, It's really helpful. And maybe to wrap up, so what is, in your view, the overall theme of the omnibus law and these implementing regulation? Would you say that it's a progressive regulation or, you know, the regulation is as progressive as employers may have hoped? And finally, do you see it achieving its goal of improving the ease of doing business in Indonesia, encouraging, of course, more investment and, you know, therefore creating jobs? Well, this is a good question. (laughs) The way we see it, it can go both ways. On one hand, it does provide some comfort for investors coming in, where the omnibus law does provide some certainty and clarity on how to manage employees, including grounds for termination. And it also gives more flexibility if the investors would like to hire the employees on an outsourcing basis. And one important change is that, like I mentioned before, it lowers the servant payments, which is considered as attractive to new investors. So it could be more competitive with other regions. But on the other hand, it might not be that attractive to existing investor already in Indonesia. Now, we have to also remember that historically, the Indonesian manpower law and mindset is actually pro-employee. There's basically no notion of termination at will introduced with the current changes. It even adds an additional procedures, I said, to actually terminate an employee, you'd be required to serve a notice of termination, and that can actually be rejected by the concerned employee. If that happens, then the employer and the employee will need to go through the usual means of termination. So agreeing by entering a, a, into a mutual termination agreement is still probably the best way to go. Another thing to consider is that how these new provisions interplay with already existing employment agreements, company regulations, and collective labor agreements, which can set a higher precedent and are actually applicable. It is advisable from our side is is that for employers to look into these documents and make the necessary amendments to align with the omnibus law and PR 35. Well, this has been a very interesting discussion. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time. It was really helpful. If you'd like to connect with Fahul, Shafdan, or any of our lawyers around the world, please search for them on the ELA website at ela.law by going to the big final lawyer widget in the center of the page where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers, and on-demand content from our online library or access to the ELA's exclusive global employer handbook. 
You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the world. I'm Marion Carl, and thanks for listening.